Uh, I want to begin this morning with a thought experiment, and the thought experiment is that I want want you to imagine two different children growing up in two really different places in the world. Imagine the first one growing up in Alaska. Uh, This child grows up, young boy, as the son of a trapper, and so he is out in the woods uh, for most of the year. It's cold, it's wet, it's snowy. And all year long, they're trapping and they're dealing with with the elements, dealing with the wilderness. This person knows the white of the snow and the cold of the north. Now, what's his worldview? His worldview is cold. So now you uh, switch the examples, and here is a guy who grows up in Placencia, Belize. His father, too, is a trapper, but what he's doing is he's trapping lobster. So this child knows what it's like to go out with his dad and to pull up lobster traps. Maybe his dad is taking people fly fishing. And this person's worldview is a worldview based on things that are very warm, the blue of the sky, the blue of the ocean, the blue of the waves. What happens if you take the guy from Alaska and you transplant him down in Belize? What happens? He's oppressed by the heat. He can't handle the heat. What happens if you take the person from Placencia, Belize, and you take him up to Talkeetna, Alaska? He's going to be oppressed by the cold. These two young children, they live in two different worldviews, the worldview of the warm and the worldview of the cold, and they filter everything they know through those those different worldviews. Now, worldviews are like that. Worldviews are just the automatic way we have of seeing life. And it's possible for you to embrace an entire worldview of ingratitude. Everything that you see makes you frustrated, makes, reminds you that you could have more, you could be more. So you have a worldview of ingratitude. On the other hand, you could have a worldview of gratitude, where as Molly said so beautifully on the screens, You're taking joy in the little thing, the smile of your dog or the smell of a meal. That's a worldview of gratitude. And this morning, what what I want to do is I want to help you embrace that entire worldview of gratitude. I want to show you the differences spiritually and the differences that also take place biochemically in your life so that you can ratchet up your sense of joy in the presence of God. Well, let's, let's get started. So um, I want to begin with the story of Jesus healing the 10 lepers, and then he immediately follows it up with a story about the kingdom. And these two paragraphs are very closely connected. So it begins with verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. They lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So at this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus and his disciples are on a very long trip, going from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south, and they pass through a racially mixed area called the Decapolis. Decapolis means the ten cities. It was a racially mixed area. There were Greeks, there were Samaritans, lots of different people in the Decapolis area. 
and the Decapolis was already a tense place because of the, of the religious and racial divisions. Now it becomes even more tense for the disciples because 10 lepers come toward them. Leprosy was the most feared disease in the ancient world. Today we call it Hansen's disease. Back then, leprosy consisted of a series of skin diseases. This particular one was Hansen's disease, was called by a bacteria that first produces skin lesions, then nodules, then damages the peripheral nervous system. And if you don't treat it quickly, it can become horribly disfiguring. I was trying to come up with an internet picture that would show you what it looks like. All of them were so horrible that if I showed them to you, I think you would have not listen to anything else that I said for the entire rest of the message, so I spared you the picture. But if you were a leper, by law, you had to stand back. And if you were a leper, by law, you had to become more like unkempt, let your clothes be unkempt, you had to wear something over your face, and you're required when you approach people to say, unclean, unclean. And if you ever heard those words you would like bolt in the opposite direction because nobody wanted to get close to somebody who had leprosy. Today, Hansen's disease is routinely cured by simple antibiotics. Back then, it was a destroyer of your life. No wonder lepers congregated together because they were the only ones who could congregate together. Lepers congregating with different lepers. Jesus now moves toward these ten, ten lepers. You remember that Jesus handled leprosy differently in different occasions. Sometimes he stretched out his hand and touched people. Other times he said, go show yourself to the priests. In this case, he says, go show yourself to the priests. And if the priests gave their medical opinion, ancient medical opinion, that you were cleansed, then you were cleansed and you were free to go about your way. So Jesus is essentially telling these lepers, look, you guys go to the priests, and along the way, as you're going, as you're obeying me, I will instantaneously heal you. So they go, and they begin to walk the other direction. It's then that something amazing and dramatic takes place, because as they're walking, each of these ten feels this electric surge of energy flow through their bodies. That electric surge goes down to their hands, and it instantaneously restores the skin on their hands, the bone beneath the skin, the muscles, the tendons, everything is perfectly restored so their hands are perfectly cleansed. And then they feel that electric surge of energy go up to their faces and now they see their faces also are instantaneously cleansed. They can't look like in their iPhone, like, okay, let's see how I'm looking at my iPhone. No, oh, pretty good. They can't do that. But they know, they feel their, their faces and their faces are smooth. This was like being healed of disfiguring third-degree burns. This is like being healed of an amputation. This is instantaneous. It is dramatic. It is life-changing. So, while the nine are still headed toward the priest, one peels away from the nine, and he comes back toward Jesus. His formerly gnarled hands are held high. He's racing toward Jesus. While he's still a ways away, he gets down on his knees and he begins thanking Jesus profusely for what happened. So far, everybody's amazed. 
so far, everybody's excited. And then the man stands up, and the excitement is now tempered because they realize, whoa, that guy is a Samaritan. He's a Samaritan. So their excitement is tempered now by the racial animosity that they naturally felt towards Samaritans. And Jesus says, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this? Jesus does not call him a a Samaritan. He calls him a foreigner. He obviously looked like a foreigner. Jesus says, except for this foreigner, and he says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, I want you to notice several things about gratitude from the way this man responds. First observation, gratitude begins with your willingness to see something good even in the midst of imperfection. Even in the midst of imperfection. This man saw something, the, other, the same thing the other lepers did, that my, my hands are clean, okay? But, but he saw something in the midst of imperfection for which to give thanks. And you have to realize that it's still, it's, things are still not good for the guy, right? I mean, he's still got to go get a job. He's going to go back to his village and try to reconnect with his family. People in the village are going to go, whoa, wait, wait a second, wait a second. You really cleansed? Family's going to be really cautious about letting him back in. Are you still contagious? Things are still not perfect for this guy. Nevertheless, he expresses thanks. He's mindful of what happened and expresses thanks. Now, here's where the worldview of gratitude begins. It begins with your willingness to see the good even in the midst of the imperfection. And that takes mindfulness. Mindfulness is that spiritual discipline of seeing the good even in the midst of the imperfection. Molly pointed it out on, uh, on the video. You know, the smile of my dog is a small good even in the midst of imperfection. Mindfulness. Mindfulness sometimes is, is, a re- is really an exercise. This past summer, we had an exercise in mindfulness. We were um, at, on Puget Sound, at the beach in Puget Sound at low tide. And we were looking for a moon snail. And uh, the moon snail has a, an interesting little, uh, well, he grows and he, he has that, that egg sac that's that big round egg sac. But these moon snails are huge. They're, they're massive. And so we're, we're being mindful. We know the image we want in our mind, and we're just walking around the beach seeing, is, is that a moon snail? No, no, no. Oh, there he is right there. Big one. Big one. So big it was named Frank. <laughs> the ranger named him Frank. So the, the idea is we had to be mindful of what we we're looking for. And if you're going to grow in the worldview of gratitude, you have to be mindful. Yes, okay, there's a little thing right there for which I can be grateful, even though my life's still not perfect. Mindfulness. It begins with mindfulness. Second thing we see about this story is that um, expressing gratitude takes tremendous courage. This guy came back. It took courage for him to come back. Remember, he had two strikes against him. Strike one was physical. He had leprosy. So as he returns, you know, people are automatically going to recoil in fear until they find out he's been cleansed. His second strike was racial. 
This man was a Samaritan. He was of a racial minority, and the people following Jesus were Jews. So think about what this man could have done. He could have said to himself, you know, it's awesome that I'm healed. I love that. This is really cool, but I'm still a Samaritan. I'm still of a different race. If I come back and give thanks to Jesus, people are going to see my racial features, and they're going to go, oh, oh, cool. But you're a Samaritan. You're a foreigner. And I'm tired of that, he could have said. I don't want to do that. So I am not going to ramp up the courage and go back and thank the guy who healed me. Instead, I'm just going to withdraw. Instead, he does ramp up courage and express gratitude for a good gift, even in the midst of a larger setting where things are still painful. And I've seen this over and over again with followers of Christ. Even in the midst of very, very imperfect situations, they're still willing to show courage and give thanks. Give you an example. A couple of months ago, Marianne Grisham had a serious bike accident uh, way out in the country. She was with some other other women riding the bike, and uh, I got a call from Jeff saying, "Please pray for Marianne. She was in a serious bike accident." Well, Marianne broke broke some bones, but she said something happened the moment she was laying there in the ditch. He said, she looked up and she saw that sign. She fell right near that sign. And when she saw that sign, the first thing she said was, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that reminder that you're with me, even though I've had some sort of an injury. Thank you. Imperfect situation. She still has the courage to express gratitude in this situation. Or take... Uh, Bethany Hamilton. Bethany Hamilton, uh, uh, at age, she's a professional surfer, but at age 13, she was surfing Tunnels Beach in Kauai when a large tiger shark attacked her, severing her left arm below the shoulder. On the way to the hospital, she lost 60% of her blood. And so there she is today, but this uh, movie that she did called Soul Surfer and the, and the book that went along with it, suggests that after uh, one month, she got back out on the surfboard and started surfing with one arm. She expressed gratitude. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I lost an arm, but I'm still alive. Thank you. Thank you, God. It takes courage, you know, to express gratitude even in the midst of a continued imperfect situation. And here's the third observation. Gratitude is often the context in which God provides more of his goodness. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that if you show gratitude, that God is now bound to bless you more, as if, as if blessings were works and not a result of grace. But it is true that when you create a culture of gratitude around yourself, good things tend to happen. You start noticing more and more of God's blessings and his kindness to you. So the more you express gratitude, the more we're able to steward the gifts that take place. So the Samaritan receives more blessings. And notice the obvious blessing, rise and go. The Jewish Messiah has said to a Samaritan, you're free to go. Like, go. It's a a go of freedom. It's a go of joy. If Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well, that's a go of blessing and abundance. 
So now he's receiving more blessing in the context of showing gratitude. But how do you suppose this guy is going to encounter blessing down the road? Well, I can't say this for sure, but notice what happens in Acts 1.8. Jesus says to his disciples, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and where? Samaria. So imagine this guy who's been healed of leprosy and the gospel gets to Samaria several months later or maybe a year later. And some of his Samaritan friends have come to Christ. Awesome. He said, yeah, that, Jesus is the one who healed me of my leprosy. And then some Jewish folks come to Christ. Hey, Jesus healed me of my leprosy. Now there's connection between Jew and Samaritan. And then some Gentiles up in the Decapolis, they come to Christ too. Now we've got Jew, Samaritan, and Gentile fellowshipping with each other because Jesus is at the center. So now this man has encountered blessings in the present, but in the future, the blessing of racial harmony and racial reconciliation. And this guy experienced the truth of Ephesians 2.14, for Jesus himself is our peace, who made us both groups into one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The guy was healed physically there and expressed gratitude, and in time to come, he's going to encounter a racial healing and racial reconciliation. I'm just saying, gratitude creates the environment in your life where you begin to see more and more of God's good gifts. You're, you can steward them more, and you encounter them more fully. I'm not saying that if you show thanks, God is bound and determined to give you more blessings. I'm not saying that it works that way, but it's a cultural thing. As you express more gratitude, you encounter more of God's, God's goodness. Now, we move to the next phase of the story because this guy now is gone. He, he, he goes his way. He's excited. He's really encouraged. His life is now different. And the Pharisees who are there, the Pharisees have something to say. And here's what they say. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, there it is, or, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, these Pharisees had engaged in a stunning failure to see the kingdom. Jesus' healing of this leper was an expression of the kingdom breaking through. Now, don't get me wrong. God's kingdom is coming in the future. No doubt about that. He is coming. Jesus will return. Jesus' kingdom is coming. But the present expression of the kingdom is Jesus breaking through in the present and doing amazing things. Jesus just did an amazing thing for the, for the Samaritan. Pharisees didn't get it. They were blind to it. What Jesus is saying is, look, guys, guys, you got to have to understand, God's kingdom is in your midst, in me. And what I want you to, what I want you to know is that this kingdom presence of God is here, and you're, and you're missing it. You're, you're blind to it. So remember what the kingdom is. God's kingdom is, is his invisible spiritual presence that surrounds you right now, and it's in that place that God often breaks through and brings transformation. You say, why can't I see it? Because right now, you're designed to walk by faith. And what that means is 
that he wants you to walk by faith that his kingdom presence and power is here and will from time to time break through and do, a, do miraculous things. So I'm holding this remote here to power the computer. And apparently there are signals that come from here into my computer. I don't see them. You don't see them. But they're there. And when I press the button, there's a breakthrough invisibly that happens that changes the slide. And so I walk by faith every day that I use this. And God calls you to walk by faith that you are in the kingdom presence of his risen son who fills all things. And that's why Jesus says, I want you to pray, God, may your kingdom come. Meaning, God, let your kingdom power and presence break through in my life right now today. May I encounter your kingdom presence. And so one of the things that gratitude does is it allows you to see his kingdom presence breakthroughs. Now I can look back on some of my life where God's kingdom really broke through, and I was, I was like the Pharisees. I was just a little blind to it. Like, oh yeah. I mean, that was God breaking through in that situation. What was wrong with me? I was not appreciating it and sensing it. God wants us to see kingdom breakthrough and experience gratitude. So that leads us to the core idea. Uh, gratitude is fostering a worldview, but here's how it works. As you build disciplines of gratitude in your life, you're learning to live in a kingdom worldview. You start noticing more of God's kindness and his gifts, and therefore you sense more and more of his presence and power. Gratitude pulls you into the supernatural in a really wonderful way. But listen, it goes back to, to what you see. It goes back to how mindful you are about what God's doing in your life. Check out these verses. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Look, that's a statement about the evil one blinding the minds of people who are not believers in Christ. Isn't it also true that the evil one could blind your mind so that you don't see the good things that Jesus Christ is doing? Isn't that possible? Yes. It's possible that the evil one can sort of blind you so that you've got this worldview of ingratitude and expectation-laden ingratitude that causes you to not see his good gifts. Yes, it's possible. James points that same, thi same thing out. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation of shifting or shifting shadow. It's possible to be so deceived that you do not see the good things that God is doing in your life, and therefore you live in a worldview of ingratitude, of snarky entitlement thinking. It causes you to always feel like God's not doing things in my life and I'm frustrated and things are not going well. It's a worldview. It's a worldview that comes from deception. This can be a spiritual problem for sure. And that's why Paul prays for the people that he cares for that they would have the eyes to see. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. 
Paul is praying that we would not be deceived, that we would not be caught up in the spiritual warfare of, of ingratitude, but that our, our eyes would be open, that we would see the amazing things that God is doing in our life now. And having seen those things, we would exercise a profound sense of thanks and, and gratitude. This is not just a spiritual act of seeing the good by faith. This has profound neurological implications. Um, there's some very robust science right now that shows how our spiritual choices create a shift in the biochemistry of the brain. About, about uh, sometime in the 1990s, a PhD psychologist said, Rod, he said, let me tell you something. He said, uh, your neural pathways are fixed. I was in my 40s at the time. Your neural pathways are fixed, and there's not a lot of change that, that can take place. Okay, that was the 90s. He was listening to information that was 30 years old. Because in the 1960s, there were some researchers at UCLA that demonstrated that there is neurogenesis that can take place in the brain, and the brain is highly plastic, meaning that it can, it can change. And he didn't, he didn't know that, that research. Didn't know that research. Today we know the brain is plastic. It can change. By plastic, I don't mean made from polymers, obviously. I mean that it is capable of changing. So here's an experiment that was done recently on neurogenesis in the hippocampus. And the red there, the red there are examples of neurogenesis that had taken place in the laboratory that they were able to chart and show. I mean, we're talking about neurogenesis, the creation of new neurons that can spark new connections in the brain. So the way the science goes now is if I will make the choice to be grateful, I actually affect the biochemistry that's taking place in my brain. Neurons that fire together tend to become stronger. And so if I am constantly exercising gratitude, I am making use of certain neurons in my brain that will continue to fire together in a more automatic way. At the same time, if I reject ingratitude, if I reject an entitlement mentality, there's a thing that happens called synaptic pruning. You know what it's like to prune your rose bushes. You're pruning things that don't need to be growing. Well, synaptic pruning is where things that you neglect, like hopefully ingratitude, those things tend to get pruned off so that you are more apt to express gratitude as opposed to expressing ingratitude. One of the ways to illustrate it is to think about a, a reusable compact disc. Imagine that I've got a reusable compact disc, and I decide I'm going to record Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. I record that, I listen to it, listen to Jimmy Page's, uh, you know, his lead. Then I think, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of that. You know, I'm getting tired of that song, so I'm going to put my CD in, and I'm going to burn St. Matthew's Passion. What have I done? I've changed the grooves on the compact disc. Same compact disc, I've just changed the grooves. 
by you learning to live in a worldview of gratitude, you are shifting the neural pathways in your brain, making it easier to live in that, that worldview, and also making it easier to reject the worldview of ingratitude. It's an amazing thing. God has designed our brains so that it's possible for us not only to change spiritually, but neurologically and biochemically. What, what an amazing God that is. So uh, here's the main idea one more time. As you express gratitude, you are learning to live in a kingdom worldview. You're learning to see the breakthroughs that the risen Christ is bringing into your life, and you're saying, thanks, thanks for those things. I want to go back to Molly's dog. Molly's dog smiles. And Molly can look at that dog and go, I'm grateful for that smile. Instead of saying, what are you looking at? What did you do? Did you get into trouble? I'm not saying Charlie doesn't ever get into trouble. But I'm saying the worldview is a worldview that, that automatically goes toward, toward gratitude. So you see more of God's kindness and his gifts. You sense more and more of his presence and his power. And the result is that you begin to overflow with gratitude. That's Paul's goal is that we would overflow with gratitude. What is overflowing? Overflowing is I, I pour it up and it fills up and then it spills over. Spilling over with gratitude is God's desire for your life, but it begins with this spiritual discipline of beginning to exercise it in the small things. So with, with that idea, let's look at some takeaways um, about making gratitude your worldview. Takeaway number one, I want you to encourage you to, to adopt a four-word statement, a simple four-word statement. And the four-word statement is, God, I thank you, or Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you. When you smell a delightful smell, Father, I thank you for that smell. When you feel a satisfying texture, Father, I thank you for this texture. When you hear beautiful music, Father, I thank you for this music. When you um, read satisfying words on a page, Father, I thank you for the way that was crafted. Father, I thank you. Simple four-word statement. My hope is that you would make this statement a hundred times a day. Even when something bad happens, Father, I thank you. You think, well, that's crazy. Why would I say that when something bad happens? Because Paul said so. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. Wait, even bad things? Yes, the good, the bad, the ugly, the tragic. In everything, he says, give thanks. Why would I give thanks when things are bad. Well, the reason why is because I'm saying, Father, thank you that you are still in control. Father, thank you that you are still good. Father, thank you that you can still make a way. Father, thank you that even in this bad thing, even in this tragedy, I do have some good things in my life. Even if it's just a cat who will come up into my life and love me in the bad. Even if it's just a sunrise that reminds me, God, you're still in control. And everything give thanks. So this simple four-word phrase is, Father, I thank you. And look, if you say it dozens of times a day, that's not too many times to say it. And here's the second takeaway. And the second takeaway is adopt a four-line prayer. Here's a four-line gratitude prayer that I would, I would encourage you to adopt. Line one is, Lord, thank you that I was born. 
Line two is, thank you that I was born again. Line three is, thank you that I was transferred to your kingdom. And line four is, thank you for my upcoming glorification. So think about that for a second. Lord, thank you that I was born. When I pray that I'm thanking God that I was, I was born to Bill and Lucy McIlvain of Syracuse, New York. I'm thanking God for the things that I remember from my childhood. The good, the not so good. I'm thanking God for the things that they did to empower me to grow into adulthood. I'm thanking God for all sorts of things in my background. And as I'm thanking God for those things, guess what comes up? Memories that were good. And the memories that weren't so good are brought under the blood of Christ so that I can see them from the vantage point of gratitude. God, thank you that I was born. Thank you that I was born again. I, I think how I came to Christ. I think of the, of the things that happened in my life that led me to praying a prayer. God, I, I want you. I don't know how to get to you. I prayed that prayer in Chicago, moved to Milwaukee, and God brought a great friend, a guy named Greg Jones, who encouraged me in my, in my faith. Lord, thank you that I was born again. Thank you for the people who discipled me. Thank you for the people who encouraged me along the way. Thank you that I was born again. Thank you that I was transferred to your kingdom. Meaning, God, I thank you that I'm in a supernatural relationship with you. That supernatural relationship is such that you can break through at any time and you can bring transformation into my life. God, thank you that I'm in that supernatural relationship. And thank you, God, for my upcoming glorification. I, at some point in time, will leave this earth and I will find myself in the presence of a holy God. And Paul says that is so certain that he says, we were glorified in Romans 8.30 as if it's already taken place. We need to be thinking about that. God, thank you that that's going to happen for me. I had an amazing experience when I was at the journey home. Uh, Frida Wilcox passed away uh, about a week and a half ago. And Frida had her family, her wonderful family, surrounding her in the home, at the journey home, in, the, in the, her room at the journey home. And they were talking. And at one point, Frida, who was really, really wanting to see Jesus, Frida Wilcox, who had only days left, Frida says, can you guys be quiet? I'm trying to die here. <laughs> if you know Frida, you know that's, that's Frida. She was really wanting to see Jesus. And so this, this example of gratitude is, Lord, thank you that I'm going to see you one day. Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So that's a way that we can express our, our gratitude. And the third takeaway is keep a gratitude journal. Uh, we gave out gratitude journals last week. If you didn't get one, they're still available. We want you to, to encourage, encourage you to pick them up. But what I love about this guy named Robert Emmons, uh, Robert Emmons is at uh, University of California at Davis, and he does uh, peer-reviewed science-based research on gratitude. And here's what he says in, in the, one of his... He wrote the science-based research and then a popular article based upon it. He said this, one of the best ways to cultivate gratitude is by keeping a daily journal in which you record blessings for which you are grateful. Setting aside time on a daily basis to recall moments of gratitude associated with mundane or ordinary events or valued people in your life gives you the potential to interweave a sustainable life theme of gratefulness. He says, if you want to sustain that worldview of gratitude, keep a journal. You don't have to write a lot. Just write three to five things 
per day. If you write three to five things per day in your gratitude journal, it tends to change your worldview toward a worldview of gratitude. So if you didn't get one, I encourage you to pick one up on the way out. I think we've got, we've got some more. And then the final uh, takeaway is express gratitude to people who love you and, to, and who serve you. And I said last week that Paul McCartney and John Lennon, probably the most successful uh, songwriters of our modern times, you would have thought, you know, they had a great relationship where John Lennon is saying to Paul, Paul, great song, let it be, was incredible. And John's saying to, uh, Paul's saying to John, hey, awesome song with, with, you know, with She Loves You. But John Lennon only expressed gratitude one time, one time, that's it. Why? Because gratitude is a choice. You make the choice about whether you will express it or not express it. Don't be stingy with your gratitude. Be generous with your gratitude. When George Starkey was on vacation, he uh, texted me a small sentence of gratitude. I just so appreciated that. I took a picture of it on my phone because I wanted to remember that really nice expression of gratitude. Okay? It's important to be generous with the people who have been good to you. Express gratitude.